Well, good morning. Our guest preacher this morning has a heart for service. She serves as the chair of the board of Neighborhood Homework House, one of our local missions partners. She's also a staff pastor at Vineyard Glendora, and she's a campus pastor at Azusa Pacific University. Can we give a warm welcome to Karen Rugley? Well, good morning, good morning. It is my honor and my privilege to be with you this morning. As Kate said, I am Dr. Karen Rugley. I am the director in the Office of Service and Discipleship at Azusa Pacific University. I'm also one of our campus pastors. I am on pastoral staff at a church just down the road, so don't worry, I got somebody to cover all the things that I was supposed to be doing at my church in order to be here with you this morning. Um, I actually joined that church when I was an APU student many, many years ago. And so now it's a privilege that I get to be a part of pastoring in that local community. And I am the board chair at Neighborhood Homework House, one of the many organizations that you all are so lovingly partnering with. And so on behalf of the board of Homework House, I want to thank you. Thank you for your service to the community, to the families of Azusa. I appreciate it more than you know. See, all of this matters to me because I myself am an Azusa resident. While I didn't grow up in this city, I have lived in the community of Azusa for 22 years. I lived here since 2001 when I came here to attend APU, and that's 22 years that I have been engaged in what God is doing in the San Gabriel Valley in some way, shape, or form. Now, before I jump in, I wanna tell you a little bit about the San Gabriel Valley, just to help you wrap your head around a few things that make this place where we live so special and so unique. Now, this area that we all call home stretches for about 200 square miles and has about 47 cities and unincorporated areas within it. This land that we live on was originally inhabited by the Tongva people, and the native language that they spoke was different than the tribes and the people around them. The Spaniards that eventually settled here in the San Gabriel Valley, they called the language that they spoke Gabrileno. Now, that's part of the way that we got our language for the San Gabriel Valley. Now, if you hearken all the way back to fourth grade, For some of you, that may be a little bit further back than others, and I recognize that. But if you hearken all the way back to your fourth grade year, you might remember doing a mission project. Anybody do a mission project? I did mine out of sugar cubes and hot glue. Now, let me just tell you, that was a terrible combination. You should never put hot glue and sugar together, okay? It ends up being a sticky, goopy mess. But I was very proud of my mission, But the San Gabriel Valley actually here in our valley is home to number three of 21 missions that would eventually pop up all along the El Camino Real throughout the state of California. The mission that we have, Mission San Gabriel Archangel, was founded in 1771. And its original location was actually called Mission Vieja. 
Now, by the mid-19th century, the San Gabriel Valley was home to Japanese, Chinese, Filipino, South Asian, Spanish, Mexican, and white settlers. And if you've been in SoCal for any period of time, you know that much of this land used to be citrus farms, right? Citrus farms covered much of Whittier, of Covina, and Pasadena. A lot of them were dedicated as farmland. But we also hear in the San Gabriel Valley, we had oil, we had dairy, we had cattle industries, and those were major hubs that were located in our area. Nowadays, it's estimated that 1.8 million people call the San Gabriel Valley home. That's us, right? And significant portions of many major ethnic groups live here, which makes this place, this 200 square mile stretch of land, some of the most diverse ethnically within our nation. We have arts, we have culture, we have many institutions of higher ed, although APU is the best, I am biased. We have some significant impacts in K through 12 education. We have parks, we have mountains, we have trails, we have lakes, we have businesses, and we have churches and so much more. So why do I tell all of you this, right? First, I wanna help you understand that San Gabriel Valley is a real and diverse place that is home to many of us. Many of the people that live in the San Gabriel Valley are actual generational residents, meaning they live here because their parents lived here, because their grandparents lived here. For many of us, this is our home too. It's the communities that we live in, that we work in. It's where we church. It's where we grocery shop. It's where our kids attend school and play soccer. The San Gabriel Valley is a collection of diverse people. It's me and it's you and it's my neighbors and it's your neighbors. Now, when I moved to Azusa 22 years ago, I had no idea that this small town that was nestled at the base of the San Gabriel Valleys, that was the entrance to the canyon, would become the home of me and my family. I've actually lived here longer than the home I left to attend APU 22 years ago. And my deep appreciation for this community, it started with me knowing my community. It started with me being involved in my community. It started by me serving in this community, spending time in this community, spending my money in this community. And that knowing my community eventually turned into a deep, deep love for this community. I tell APU students all the time, Azusa isn't just a place that's out there past Chick-fil-A or past Target, right? There is so much more to my city and the San Gabriel Valley. The San Gabriel Valley isn't just Old Town Pasadena. It's not the Rose Parade that makes us famous or the 210 Freeway and all of the many coffee shops between here and there, right? The San Gabriel Valley is cities and towns where people like you and where people like me live, where we inhabit, where life happens. 
Now, the other reason I'm telling you all of this is because truthfully, it's a lot easier to otherize something that you don't know. When we don't know things that are different from our lived experience, it becomes something that, that's other or that's outside of us. It's something that we allow at a safe distance, right? Uh, something that we keep at an arm's length between you and between me. Now, if the people in your neighborhoods and your cities don't have kids or their kids don't go to the same school as you or they don't go to church here at Glenkirk or they don't work in your office, it's really hard to get to know them. People who live differently than you or maybe differently than the, the neighborhood that you grew up in. Maybe you didn't grow up in a predominantly Latino community. Maybe you didn't grow up hearing Spanish being spoken regularly or eating different foods than what you ate, right? I want you to hear me say this. Different is not bad. It's just different. It's just different. So how do we understand the things and the people who are different from us? We get to know them. We get to know what makes them tick. We jump in with both feet. In the same way that when I came here 22 years ago, I had to get to know Azusa. Azusa was going to be my home in ways that I had no idea or could never even predict or expect. But because I jumped in, because I got to know it, I began to love this community. This concept actually became really highlighted for me when I understood more about the relationship between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people. See, the Samaritans and the Jews, they were ultimately from the same place, right? The Samaritans and the Jews, they were both from Israel. They were children of Israel. And then in 1 Kings, we read about Israel, the place where they lived together, where they cohabitated together, ultimately being divided. It became divided in half, becoming in essence two kingdoms. Now on one kingdom, you had Judah and Jerusalem and the Jewish temple. And in the other kingdom, you have the hill of Samaria. And the Samaritans, that hill actually controlled a main passageway between Jerusalem and Galilee. So you had these people groups that were ultimately born from the same group divided in half. Then in 722 BC, the city of Samaria, it was actually overtaken by the Assyrian Empire. All of the Israeli inhabitants, the Samaritans, as they had now been renamed because of the city in which they lived, they were taken into captivity. And they were sold into slavery and they had no choice. Those Samaritans, in order to stay alive, had no choice but to learn how to intermingle with the Assyrians and the Mesopotamians and the people who would come after them. The Samaritans eventually learned to live alongside these people and their people groups. But see, what's interesting, it wasn't actually all that different from the Israelites who were on this side because eventually the Israelites also became conquered by Babylon, 
right? And the disobedience of the Jews as they intermingled with the Babylonian empire, they ended up having to do the same thing that the Samaritans had to do in order to stay alive. So then when the Israelites returned home after their own time in captivity, the Samaritans were there and they said, welcome home, friends. We've missed you. We're happy that you're here. Let us help you rebuild the temple. Because remember, we have a thoroughfare to the temple. We want to help you. And you know what the Jews said, the Israelites said? No, thank you. They said, no. They said, no, we don't want your help because the Israelites in that time had despised the Samaritans. They called them renegades. One ancient writer whose name is Josephus, he routinely referred to the Samaritans as evil and enviously disposed to the Jews. Now, while the Samaritans wanted to join in rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem, which ultimately would have been their temple too, they were rejected and they said no. So over the next hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the walls of bitterness between these two people groups just grew and grew and grew. They demonized one another. The other group became the ultimate enemy for the other. So by the end, by the time that Jesus arrives on the scene, these two groups of people absolutely hated each other. So then imagine their surprise, the surprise of the Jews when this ragtag prophet comes on the scene named Jesus, a lowly carpenter's son, and he begins teaching them in the temple. And he says things like what we find in Luke 10, 33. But a Samaritan while traveling came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. Can you imagine if you're a Jew hearing Jesus, this person that you already have some questions about, talking about this people group that you have grown up despising and saying, this Samaritan, while he was on his path, he found another Jew and took pity on him. Jesus told the story of the good Samaritan. And who's the story? Who's the hero in this story? It's the Samaritan. The Samaritan is the hero in this story because Jews didn't even wanna go near Samaria. And if you've grown up in the church for any length of time, you know that Jesus is telling of the good Samaritan, the one who went out of his way to help is radically different than the Jews who went out of their way to avoid Samaria at all costs. In fact, in the book of Luke, nearly 10 chapters are devoted to Jesus's teachings as Jesus travels, not around Samaria, but right through the heart of Samaria to go to Jerusalem. Luke goes out of his way to document the stories and the times that Jesus taught 
in Samaria, the times that Jesus healed in Samaria, the times that Jesus interacted in meaningful and intentional ways with Samaritan women and men. Because you see, Jesus cared about the people of Samaria. He laid the groundwork for them to be receptive for the good news of God. Jesus knew that Samaria was a real place with real people outside of the neighborhood that he grew up in where Jesus spent the majority of his time. He knew that Samaria was a place where people lived and worked and inhabited their city. Jesus spent time with Samaritans. He spent time living with them, teaching them, moving with them, settling with them, and even more. Because Jesus loved the Samaritans. He didn't otherize them or keep them at an arm's distance or say that they were evil or ostracize them. Jesus knew them. He spent time in their villages. He regularly chose to enter into Samaria, not just walk around it like the rest of the Jews. Because Jesus knew that, the, that God the Father had a plan and a purpose to reconcile all people back to God. And that plan included the Samaritans. Now, I want us to look at a critical passage that also deals with the Samaritan people and also written by Luke, but found in the book of Acts. So this is gonna be an act, Acts Eight. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn there. Otherwise, it will be on the screen. But I am going to read from Acts 8. It says, now those who were scattered and went from place to place proclaiming the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention. Can you just flip? There you go. To what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Then I'm going to skip a little bit. Go ahead and keep going on the slides. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, after Peter and John had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, proclaiming the good news to many villages of the Samaritans. So Philip, right? Philip, one of the apostles, he brings the words to a community, to the Samaritans that have been primed and ready to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So Philip goes out of his way to bring this word. And the Samaritans, they receive the good news with great joy. 
Because Philip, he's preaching the gospel, but he's not just using his words, he's actually using his actions as well. Philip goes out in word and deed. He brings healing, he casts out demons, he baptizes people, he lays his hands on people. And the people of Samaria were so primed and so ready to hear the good news about Jesus that they sent in reinforcements in Peter and John. Yes, the Peter and the John as in the disciples, as in the ones who traveled regularly with Jesus through Samaria and not around it. And then the Holy Spirit brought the Holy Ghost fire, right? On the good news, uh, for the good news of the people of Samaria, and they were ready. They were ready. Now, here's why this passage is significant, among many other things, because Luke isn't writing this passage in Acts just to offer us an explanation of what does it look like to become a Christian. He's saying that the good news of Jesus Christ is ready to be moved outside of Jerusalem. And where does it go first? The neighbor. The good news first goes to the Samaritans, their neighbor, quite literally, because up until this time in Acts, we've seen the gospel being spread all throughout Jerusalem. And that's awesome. That's good. And now the new Christians were being given the good news daily and believing it, but the gospel is ready to be taken outside of your small community. And where does it go first? It goes to your neighbor, the people groups that the Jews have spent so long avoiding. It goes to the Samaritans and they believed with great joy. Why? Because they knew Jesus because Jesus spent time with them. He walked with them, he lived with them, he ate with them. And so then when they heard that guy, that one guy who regularly entered into your community and spent time serving with you and eating with you and dining with you, that guy and his friends who intentionally went through your cities and spent time in your cities, not going around you, He's the one, he's the Messiah. He's the one who died for you on the cross to be reconciled to God. And they believed it wholeheartedly because Jesus knew them and they knew Jesus. It was so much more than just the guy who went around their cities. Jesus became the hero of their story. Now we live in a world that is still deeply shaped by this type of animosity that we find originally between the Samaritans and the Jews. We spend a lot of time in our culture focusing on otherizing people. Author Philip Yancey said in his book, Vanishing Grace, he writes, people who are the same but not quite the same can somehow generate more hatred than two groups with more obvious otherness. 
Now, I'm not saying that people who live in other cities or neighborhoods in the San Gabriel Valley are, are others, right? Or either people who live outside of Glendora or Azusa. I'm not saying that they're Samaritans, but what I am saying is we're not all that different from one another. We would do better to get to know the others around us than to work really, really hard at keeping people at a distance or at an arm's distance away. So what's the best way to get to know your community then? Serve them. Step outside of your comfort zone and learn to put others above yourself in the same way that Jesus intentionally took time to go through Samaria, go through the places that are different than yours. Now, I've done extensive research in this area, and when you serve others, it actually helps you go, grow stronger in your understanding of who God has created you to be, and it also deepens your faith in ways that very few things can. Service is powerful. Service is an important way to help remind you that God is in control and that you are not. But it's also a helpful way to remind you that we were made to be in relationship with one another. Those bonds of relationship are strengthened when we serve. And not when we serve out of pity for another person, but instead when we serve out of a genuine desire to know them and to know God because we trust that God is already at work in the places that we find ourselves, right? You're not bringing God anywhere. God is already at work there. God is already at work in your kids' schools. God is already at work in the communities around you. God is at work at the grocery store, right? God is at work in your place of employment. God is at work in your home in our workplaces, on the streets that we walk our dog, in our average, everyday, ordinary lives, God is at work. And that should free us from the feeling of having to be all things to all people at all times. I can't do that. <laughs> I have a lot of hats that I wear, yes, but I cannot be all things to all people at all times. And so the idea that God is already at work in this community, in the San Gabriel Valley, frees me from the feeling like I am the end all and be all for people. You are not. You are not their end all and be all, but you can serve them you can go to them and realize that when you are serving alongside people, you are bringing them one step closer to God. You are tuning in to what God is doing in the communities around you and empowering them to move one step closer to God. Serving also doesn't have to be this big, outrageous, mystical thing either. Because at the end of the day, serving is so much more about the attitude with which you're serving someone than the actual action of what you are doing. 
So then it should be no surprise when Jesus tells his followers in Acts 1, before all of this stuff with Samaria even happens, that they will be his witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Because the good news of Jesus Christ starts locally and then moves globally. When Jesus says this to his followers, he doesn't say Judea or Samaria or the ends of the earth. It's and every single time, Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Because when we serve locally, it's never at the expense of what God is doing in our global kingdom. And when we serve globally, God is also at work here locally. If you believe that God can only work in one space at one time, your picture of God is too small. It's too small. Our God is big and gracious and loving and kind. And there is room in God's kingdom for your neighbor literally across the street from you and your neighbor across the globe from you. So this morning, as we close, I want you to consider a few things. Who do you need to be in relationship with? Who do you need to get to know? Who is your almost but not quite the same person in your community? Maybe they're a little bit harder for you to serve. Maybe you spend a lot of time going around their city or around their place instead of through their place. Who is that person for you? Who is that people group for you? Who is that community for you? And number two, how can you serve them today? How can you show them that you value them in all times and in all spaces so that when God is ready to reveal God's self to them, that they're primed and ready to hear it, that God might use you as an instrument to bring the good news in the same way that Philip and Peter and John brought the good news to the Samaritan people. So who are those people and how can you serve them today? Let me pray for us this morning. God, I am continually amazed that you choose to use us, a group of people who don't have all of the answers, Lord, who often get things wrong, Lord, who um, choose to avoid people that are different from us or maybe harder for us or that we don't really have a box to put within. God, you still choose to use us to bring your good news to those people. You still choose to use us to bring good news to all people. So God, may we be a group of women and men who are ready to enter in whatever space that you would have us enter in, God. That you would choose to use us to attune to what you are doing in every community, God so that by the time you are ready to reveal yourself, by the time you are bringing the good news to all people, our communities are ready and receptive to hear it. 
because we are not the hero of the story, Lord. It is you every single time. So God, I pray that you would begin to bring to mind people that we need to serve, that we need to interact with, that we need to engage with, the people that you are doing a work in, God, that you are, you are priming the pump for them to know who you are and the good news that you have for them. So God, we ask that you would choose to use us in our time and in our day, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.